Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Previously, on the Old Ways Podcast. Miss Lane, this is your alma mater. I did not know this. I never mentioned that. Uh, so did the snake god have people sacrificing on their behalf? Yes. And where was this at? In Chicago. Seems like you had quite the adventure in Chicago. Well, we have to go back to Miss Carlisle's. I also want to bring up, too, that... We may want to go to London as well. Not only that, our chronometer is set for London time. I also may or may not find a connection in London. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, uh, and I am here with my cast of investigators tonight to play another installment of Masks of Nalothotep. Uh, we currently find ourselves a bit north of New York City. We're in Arkham right now. And I'm going to introduce, I'm going to let the investigators introduce themselves, but uh, I want to just state for the record, nothing so far in Arkham has been set on fire by this crew yet. Give it time, though. Uh, so to my right, Yes, uh, this is Lonnie, and I am playing uh, Lawrence Edward Oliver Forsyth, uh, a man who uh, is trying to get out of going to a party. <laughs> really? Interesting. Uh, and then to his right. This is Morgan. I play Lillian Lane, and we are finally going to a party, I think, today. Finally. Yes, party. At the end of the virtual table. This is Jake. I'm playing Jack Doyle. And yeah, it's about time we get to this party. It is. It feels like forever. It feels like forever. Uh, to his right. This is James. I'll be playing Dr. Sigmund Tartenbach. And was is this about a party? I am like, wait, lightning for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then our resident firebug. Uh, last but most certainly not nice. Tiffany, I am playing Maeve O'Shea. And um, I have better things to do, like read books and learn spells. Oh, oh boy. Spell learning. Spell learning sounds fun. Okay. So, again, we raise the curtain. It is early morning in Arkham. And we raise the scene on Arkham Asylum, a sanatorium uh, that has been part of the culture here for many, many years. Miss O'Shea, you stand outside. It's... uh, cold and still frosted gates as the uh, local groundskeeper and one of the orderlies assists in opening the gate so you can come in to see your mother. It's about just after five. Okay. I would hope that I would have grabbed her something to eat. Yes, the uh, hotel attendant was nice enough to uh, collect something for you. It's not much more than uh, a few pastries, and um, just a, a few slices of uh, ham that's from the local butcher, but it's definitely something. And it's probably better than what she's getting. Uh, likely. I mean, uh, Christopher did say that he was doing his best to try to improve conditions at Arkham, uh, but much like many convalescent homes and asylums and sanatoriums of its era, it is... Well, quite frankly, it is uh, dependent upon a society that supports it, and not every city and town support the need for proper medicinal treatment. I'll just uh, head on in and see my mom. Yeah. 
the uh oh and sign in yeah they're gonna shove (laughs) the paper at me they are indeed they uh they don't get a chance to shove the paper at you because you commandeer the pen and with a uh swift hand scrawl your name into the book you can see the attendant behind the desk gives you a strange look i see you've been here before uh yes several times well don't stay too long okay (laughs) then i will head in the direction of my mother's room they usher you back towards your mother's room just down the hall and a bit uh, to the right, uh, you see um, actually a rather quiet and um, peaceful Arkham. Interestingly enough, uh, there's not a whole lot of orderlies out running around as far as doing their, their duties. Uh, most of the patients are still in their rooms. There's a couple in the main area that are sitting and, and uh, just staring out the windows. But unlike the last time, there, there are not as uh, nearly as many in the open. It's probably because it's fairly early still. You approach your mother's room and you can hear, uh, you can hear her humming something on the other side of the door. I will uh, knock on the door lightly. Or then crack it open. You open the door to see your mother painting. She doesn't turn so much as she uh, lifts her head. She slightly inclines her head a bit as if to acknowledge that you've arrived. I will uh, sit down on the bed then and watch her paint for a little while. Coming to say goodbye? Yeah, I brought you breakfast too. Breakfast, eh? Mm. Well, maybe when I'm done here. You see that she's uh, working again with um, kind of a a dark gray, and then also you see uh, a strange etching of streaks of purple in what she's working on. It looks like she's working on two... uh, two kind of pointed... Shapes. They almost look like, well, they almost look like crescents in regards to where they sit on the canvas. They're about mid canvas, separated by, say, a few inches, and they arc. The points go out towards the edge of the canvas. And then down below the eyes, there's a almost a peppering of pink dots that kind of trail off as if she's trying to form a face. What are you painting? I'm, I'm painting my visitor. This is what he looks like. Oh. You have a strange um, flash of memory in leaving Arkham, taking a cab ride, and seeing that carpet, almost blanket of darkness, pass over the city. I thought he left last night. He returned. He came to to my window. To talk to you? No, we didn't talk. Then what did he want? He sang to me outside the window. Strangest sounds I've heard. They still, I can still hear them. She kind of begins to mumble a bit to herself, and then she starts almost intoning. She brings and resonates with her voice. She goes back to painting. I'm probably going to have to leave soon. Mm. We're going to the city. She puts the paintbrush down, turns around walks over to the bed and takes your hands in her still kind of paint-covered fingers. She says, she looks at you as 
clear and as open-eyed as you've seen her in years. And she says, Maeve, honey, don't come back. It's not safe for you here. What's not safe? This place, me, all of it. You can feel her grip tightening on your fingers, almost pressing the blood out of the joints in your hands. Are you safe? I have someone to protect me. He visits me all the time. Well, I can't promise that I won't come back, but it will be a while. Now, where's the food? <laughs> she kind of smirks. I'm in a, you know, where I laid it out on her desk or table or whatever she has. She sits down. She takes a few healthy bites of some food. And she kind of, again, goes from eating what you brought to returning to the easel to continue to paint. Uh, it seems that she's decided to forego the need of a brush. And she begins painting with just the delicate touches of her fingers. Almost as if she's trying to get a specific effect. Stepping back from the painting itself, because you're a bit further back, you can see that she's now formed rather swollen cheeks under these crescents. And you can see she's beginning to form kind of a strange opening below them, as if maybe it's a maw. It's not a human mouth, that's for sure. It almost, if you didn't know any better, you almost might think it's a gargoyle. Are you sure that your visitor is going to protect you? She stops immediately, turns around. He would never harm me. Why is that? I felt it. I felt... I know that he would never harm me. What have you given him in return? Nothing. He hasn't asked for anything. Seems a little strange, don't you think? Mm. And the way of those things go? Not as strange as living your days in a sanitarium. Well, that's true. Take your coat and whatever safety and good wishes you'll take from me and go. Love you, Mom. I love you too, sweetie. And I'll take my things and leave. Okay. You collect what you need and head out the door uh, down past the orderlies and the front desk and back out into the cold morning streets of Arkham. Back at Hotel Miskatonic, the group is beginning to rouse for their early train ride back to New York. Is anyone doing anything specific before they leave Arkham? I can't think of anything specific. I mean, obviously, other than, you know, breakfast and getting up and getting ready to go. Uh, since it's an early train ride, I don't think we really, I don't, I don't have time to get anywhere else and back, so just getting ready to go. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything we need to follow up here or anywhere we need to go. I'm making a note to come back if we have time later to see that rock that fell from the sky. That sounds pretty fascinating, but uh, the doctor otherwise is, yeah, ready to rock and roll. Cool. I'm also going to stop uh, by Christopher's house on the way back. Okay. And tell him goodbye. Christopher, he's a he it's he's up. It's not that it's too early for him, but um obviously he's sad to see you go. He tells you that he'll continue to look in on your mother as close as he can. And uh once he knows more about what's going on, um if there are any anything else that comes up, he'll do his best to keep in contact with you. It would be good, he says. If you leave New York or if you go back to Chicago, just phone me or let me know. Send a letter to the university. Okay. 
I tell him I will write often and let him know where I'm at. Never going to write. <laughs> I might light it on fire. Um, he tries really hard not to look like a forlorn potential boyfriend and completely fails. Denied. Right. Well, circumstances are. Friend zoned. Uh, oh, yeah, totally. So you head back to the hotel, Miss O'Shea, and you walk into an assortment of your compatriots. Okay. Well, I uh, would have already packed up my things, so I just got to get them out of the room and be ready to go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to redline travel. So the group collectively, as long as everybody's okay with that. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, how, how long would the travel be? So the train is going to leave at uh, 6 a.m., so fairly shortly. Uh, from 6 uh, from six a.m. to about noon or so, you guys will get off in a Grand Central Station in New York. And then you'll have to make a decision as far as what you're planning on doing from there. You'll have to get a car probably. Miss Lane, are you going to phone Charles while you're, before you leave the hotel here and let him know about when to pick you up? Yes. Okay. So that's kind of what I figured you might do. Uh, so he'll, he, he can pick you up at Grand Central Station and then go from there back to Miss Lane's apartment, at which point you guys can prepare whatever you're going to take to go to Miss, Miss Carlisle's house or her estate, the uh, Erica Carlisle's estate, and then go from the, it's about a 30-minute ride, basically, from downtown. Okay. So the group gathers together. They get into a cab. They head back down to the uh, train station. From the train station, they head back into the train, and then you guys board the train bound for Boston. You know that you have to switch at Boston to go back to New York. For the most part, the journey this morning is cool. Uh, It's a little colder on this train than you had expected. Um, A uh, cold front has whipped through the area again. hasn't brought snow, per se, but it has brought a bit of uh, colder temperatures. So, Doctor, you're uh, kind of absentmindedly uh, covering up your leg a little bit uh, because uh, with the weather turn, it's uh, a little stiffer this morning. Hours pass. People read papers. They sleep. Uh, Potentially, they read strange occultic texts. There isn't much on the early train back from Arkham to Boston as far as there's not not a whole lot of people. So there's really not a lot going on. The one thing that does stand out as you guys get into Boston is uh, that there's, at least outside the train station, it seems that there's been some sort of accident. Doyle, did you see this? Look at this. Yeah. Doyle. Looking out the window, you see a couple of horses and uh, a wagon like a pre, um, pre-motorized wagon. Uh, looks like it's spilled something onto the road. It's several barrels of something, and now there's a few collected uh, what look like police officers. And then you see one of the police officers has an axe, and they're opening up more barrels. Oh. The raid. Damn shame. I was just going to say that's a damn shame, too. <laughs> You guys kind of curse in the windows. They're like, oh, God. I'm telling you, Doyle, it can't last long. There's no way that this legislation could last as long as they are expecting it to. Everybody who's staring at this situation, and it is pretty interesting, go ahead and give me a spot hidden room. Everyone? Anybody who's paying attention. Okay. Lawrence is not paying attention. That seems to be the case, yes. 37 under 70 for the doctor. Thank you, sir. 47 out of 68. 80 mm-hmm. out of 45. Ouch. 33 out of 88. 14 out of 92. By the look of it, as far as the rolls go, uh, it was a hard requirement. Uh, so for those of you who got just regular successes, you see the, basically the thing that draws your eye to this is the collected people around, and you can't kind of take your eyes off of the cop swinging this axe and breaking open these barrels. 
they're doing it very publicly here. Miss Lane, what you see that kind of piques your interest specifically with the hard success is they have a collection of people lined up against uh, a nearby building wall. And it looks like the people who are being arrested, uh, their clothing is fairly professional, fairly upscale. Uh, the suits are nice. Uh, but what tips you off most about them is that they appear to all be um, of Irish descent. Uh, they're fair-skinned. They're either blonde or redheads. Uh, so yeah, that, that's probably something to piques your interest. Doyle, what you pick out specifically of the people who are going through this terrible situation that's happening to them is um, nearby one of those officers, you see a Thompson machine gun. And from the looks of it, it appears it's been seized from whoever was driving this carriage. So what you're saying is, is they just are leaving it unattended? Yeah, not only not so much unattended, but it appears as if they've taken it away from these gentlemen and are collecting it amongst the things that they're seizing from them. Like the, uh, the mob wars are uh, eating up out here. You do get that feeling, absolutely. You should see if you can talk them out of giving you the gun. <laughs> I'm more interested in talking them out of giving me one of those barrels. Yeah, could make your trip a whole lot nicer. Um, the train comes to a stop and you guys disembark and prepare for uh, just a few minute layover until the uh, 12.15 train from Boston leaves to New York City. It's a couple of What's the date today? Uh, it is the 23rd. Okay. I was just looking at uh, um, news reports from over the world during that time. Something's going to happen on the 24th that I find very interesting. Oh, yeah? Well, it hasn't happened yet, but go ahead. Which well, Johnny Torrio will survive an assassination attack from Jaime Weiss and Bugs Morin. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I find that terribly interesting. Uh, are you getting the paper, by the way, Jack? Oh, yeah, I get paper every day. So, this piques your interest. To summarize for a bit for the rest of you, um, what it appears to be is an article about the upcoming eclipse. You can see Jack reading it, and it looks like it's a bit lengthy, but uh, Lawrence, you see the uh, cops continuing to clean up. Uh, they've cracked open probably a good 12 barrels at this point. And it doesn't look like beer. It looks like whiskey. I am very sad. Right. I mean, as you should be. As anyone would be. Well, that's interesting. It looks like it's going to be quite a uh, spectacle. It's uh, eclipse. Interesting. And somebody will still look at the, at the sun. <laughs> no one would be that stupid, would they? To just stare at an eclipse when they're being told not to? can't imagine anyone would do that. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be really dumb to, you know. Yeah, I can't imagine who would do that. So, the New York train arrives and uh, several people prepare to get on. Um, you have grabbed tickets to the Grand Central Station uh, and so you're, you hop aboard and uh, get settled into seats that go back to New York City. Unless anybody's trying to run out there and grab a Tommy gun. No, I'm, I'm good. Actually, though, I do want to, now that I am reminded about it, we, it was pointed out that we had people following us or seeming to be interested in us on the train ride up to Arkham. Do we have people interested in us on the train ride back? Uh, that would require a spot hidden roll. Oh, see, my kryptonite rolls. <laughs> So it's a hard success. It's a sixteen. Very good. Uh, you do not see anybody seemingly to tail you as you board the New York City bound train. That's good to know. Um, New York City comes up in the uh, windows here pretty shortly. The train ride from Boston there is uh, relatively short. Going, it feels like the train ride back is shorter. You're not sure how that's possible, but it feels like you get there a lot quicker. You arrive just a, a minute or two before noon, 
and quickly get into uh, the waiting automobile of Miss Lane's driver. Charles looks at you and says, oh, welcome back to New York City, Miss Lane. Let me help you with your things. Thank you, Charles. I throw my bags at him. No. <laughs> he catches them. Ooh. No, he only he only moves her bags. <laughs> no one else's. <laughs> As he should. He, uh, no, he moves all of the bags, but he moves hers first. Uh, you guys get back to the apartment and uh, Miss Lane, you have about probably uh, an hour or so before you need to leave for the Carlisle estate. I go to my room and I'm going to change out of these travel clothes into something more appropriate to meet with Miss Carlisle. Okay. Um, you all have uh, packages waiting here for you at the apartment. All of your uh, measured and pre-purchased clothes for the party have arrived. Ooh, I try mine on. I want to see what I look like. Doctor, you look pretty good. Uh, you feel like a, a, a new man, almost. Everyone, put them on. Have to make sure they fit and everything. Yeah, probably should. It doesn't take long to try on clothes to get prepared. They all fit surprisingly well. Uh, the only concern you have a bit, Jack, is in the shoulders, and that's because you're worried about the gun holster. <sighs> so you might need a slight alteration. All right. Well, I have to have it altered then, because go without it. It's not. It's not terrible, but it's kind of just something that you uh, you feel would probably be best. All right. I'm gonna have it altered then. Okay. Um, you put your notes down and uh, Hannah tells you that she'll run it downstairs and have someone alter it as soon as they can. Thank you so much. So uh, anybody else uh, taking anything of note or uh, need for their trip to the Carlisle State? Just take my usual bag. Okay. Doctor's bag, cane, usual accoutrement. Yep, yep. And about an hour or so later, uh, you guys gather in the apartment and head downstairs. And Charles begins the long drive out to the Carlisle Estate. So the drive itself takes you back out of New York City. Uh, so you head north uh, out of the city and into the countryside. It actually kind of reminds you a bit... Um, Mr. Forsyth and uh, Doctor, it reminds you a bit of your trip to uh, Sing Sing to see Hilton Adams, because you follow a bit of the same route. But we don't go on a boat this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you went on a train to get there the last time, but... That's um, true. Okay. But you, uh, you do see, as you kind of climb onto some of the more uh, hilly terrain in the area of upstate New York, or I should say out of New York City... Uh, into the forested area, you pass a, you pass what looks like uh, a lake, and after you pass that lake, you find yourself in a wide and wooded area uh, that arrives at. Uh, you arrive at a gate. Um, the gate is probably 10 feet tall. The wall that it uh, is supported by is relatively equally as tall. It's made out of stone. And you see that the uh, there are kind of old-fashioned wrought iron uh, entryways that, that sit on the left and the right-hand side of this as well. There are, there are several people that stand outside the gate and Charles drives up to and stops in the uh, stone driveway. My God. I have seen smaller castles in Beferia. Yeah, the estate uh, is fairly large. At least that's the way it seems. Charles turns to you, Miss Lane. Are this is the place, yes? Correct. Very good. It continues pulling in. Uh, one of the men uh, walks up to the car. 
he's got a not a uniform per se on, but he has a uh, kind of a, a buttoned-up jacket and uh, very fairly stern look. Can I help you? Um, Charles turns to him momentarily and says, Miss Lillian Lane and her associates to see Erica Carlisle. The uh, guy in the jacket gives the car a once-over, just kind of looks very carefully. Mr. Gray said that you were coming by. He whistles to a couple of the other guys, and they begin opening the wrought iron gate. Take a right, follow it as it bends to the left, park in front of the house. Charles kind of nods and begins driving inside. You can drive for a good few minutes. You drive in off of a single road. You take it as it bends all the way around. You begin to see the breadth of the Carlisle estate. Um, you come to a intersection, which sounds just unbelievable. And you end up going left. And you see a smaller house uh, in a different area. Uh, it looks like it's a, maybe it's a, I don't want to say a servant's house, but maybe that's that's probably what the players would think, the characters would think anyway. It's definitely a, a, a secondary house. And then as you turn left, you begin to see this full estate, the, the actual manor. Uh, and it's very impressive. Multiple floors. It's got a wide footprint, a big circular driveway. Um, you see what appears anyway to be uh, forested areas nearby and what you think is some sort of grand uh, veranda out back. Lillian, this reminds you of your parents' home. <laughs> Charles puts the car into park with a swift pull of a lever. All right. So one moment. He steps out of the car and opens, uh, goes around and opens your door, Miss Lane. Uh, outside the estate in this uh, circular driveway, uh, you see that you see uh, Gray has come out from the house with a couple of other uh, what appear to be either house servants or uh, house staff. He walks up to the vehicle. Miss Lane. Mr. Gray, how are you? Doing well. Good of you to come. Thank you for allowing us to, to you and Miss Carlisle, for allowing us to come out this afternoon. Of course. Uh, Miss Carlisle makes all the rules. So if she says you're okay to come, then you're okay to come. Of course. The rest of you exit the vehicle and you begin to kind of get the breadth of the view here. It's pretty impressive. Uh, you get ushered inside the house and you go to what appears to be anyway, appears to be a sitting room. This is a sitting room that has a fair amount of bookshelves. You see wide uh, leather couches. You see uh, open windows with even though it's even though it's the winter, there's still bright sun streaming through them. And uh, there is a, a service of plates and refreshments on the table uh, that sit in the middle. Mr. Gray stands at one end as you guys file into the room. Uh, Miss Carlisle will be with you in a few moments. She's just finishing up some things. Absolutely. Is there anything I can get you while you wait, Miss Lane? I think we are okay, Mr. Gray, but thank you. Of course. He kind of melts into the background a bit kind of just stands back and stands in the room. What are you guys doing with your time before Miss Carlisle comes in? I'm sitting down because we can't say anything with Mr. Gray in the room. Having some of the nibbles wandering about a bit, kind of just examining the room. Yeah, basically the same. So just getting a rough view of what's here, uh, this looks like a fairly well-appointed library. Not only that, uh, you get a bit of a, actually, um, 
Miss O'Shea, give me a power roll, would you? To not go rifling through her books? Nope, not at all. That's not the power roll. Okay. Uh, pow, pow, pow. Right in the kisser. There it is. That's right. 14 out of 50. Oh, wonderful. Uh, so you kind of get into this room and you look and start looking at the books and how it's appointed. And of course they draw your attention, but what really draws your attention are the couches. You absentmindedly a bit run your hand over them as you're kind of going around one of your fellow investigators. And the feel of the leather reminds you of the leather couch in your dream. And then you start seeing the buttons and the depressions in the arms of the sofa. And while they're not configured in the same way as it was in your dream, the room starts to really remind you of it because there are multiple exits. Right. If I go to the bookshelf where I found the one book, do I see a similar book? Uh, No, you don't. You see books, but you don't see a similar book. Okay. James, you hear a pair of heeled shoes coming down the hallway. And a very well-dressed and bright, almost. Almost as her, her appearance is very bright. She's very uh, jovial. Uh, Eric Carlisle walks into the room. Lillian and your friends, wonderful. I stand to greet her. Erica, it's nice to see you. Yes. Thank you for uh, giving us um, your time. Of course, of course. Think nothing of it. I'm glad that you called. Uh, she walks over to one of the couches and sits down. Have you has Gray taken care of you, or has he been a, just a stuffy bird in the corner? He has done a fantastic job of making sure that we are comfortable. I'll be sure to punish him later. Of course. <laughs> she um, just gives him a very simple raised. She just raises her arm just slightly. And he walks from one end of the room after shutting the double doors that lead out in that area. She walks to the other side of the room and and exits the room and shuts those, leaving you with her. So you'd said that uh, you wanted to discuss some things. It was not a problem at all. Jack, it's good to see you. She gives you a kind of a direct eye, Mr. Doyle. It's Carlisle. I uh, I hope that you're doing well. As always. Why don't you uh, introduce me to your friends, Mr. Doyle? I don't know the rest of them. See, these are my companions. Uh, Dr. Tottenbach. Guten Tag, Fräulein. She nods to you. Doctor. A doctor of what? General medicine, biology, and of course, the human body. Wonderful. Uh, Mr. Forsyth. And a bow, small bow. Very uncomfortable. And uh, of course, Miss O'Shea. I'll just nod. She returns mm-hmm. your nod. So, uh, please sit, relax. Just the calm before the storm. That's what we like to say before guests arrive. Carla, do you mind if I buy myself a drink? <laughs> of course. Um, she makes a very swift snap sound with her fingers and a couple of people come in with completely different refreshment cards. Um, you see some fairly obvious colored bottles uh, are added to the selection. Much appreciated. Not at all. We, of course, stock our own. So tell me, Lillian, tell me what I can do for you. Why, why call we were hoping you could help us acquire um, some information. Okay. What specifically about? Um, we don't want to bring up any, any bad memories, but we are looking for information regarding your brother, specifically a journal that he had. It has come to our attention that he had a journal, as she says, of his dreams, and we would like to perhaps see that, if you have it. Uh, my brother is uh, Lillian, and Mr. Doyle know is a sensitive topic, Doctor. I do apologize, Fraulein. 
I, I did not mean to be insensitive, of course. They have informed me of such. Mm -hmm. it, it is unfortunate that uh, as a doctor, I sometimes perhaps overreach my boundaries. I apologize again. No, I understand. It is beyond time that this business with Roger was done and in the ground. It is my understanding that uh, from what other people mentioned, that he did keep something of a journal of his dreams, but truth be told, I, I haven't seen it here at the house. It isn't amongst his affected things. It wasn't in his room when we had to clean it out. I can only assume that he took it with him on that silly expedition. That's unfortunate. What were you hoping to glean from it exactly? We know something of his uh, issues. And we uh, have one side of the uh, story that we were hoping that actual journal could open up a little more for us. That's funny. I find that a bit strange. Uh, I know that Roger spoke to me just in the in the throes of his own <laughs> booze-fueled dreams that he had written some things down that he he didn't understand or he needed a second opinion on that he was going to talk to Huston about, but he'd be the only other person that would know about it. What could you tell us about uh, Dr. Huston? What could I tell you about him? He seems to have, he seemed to have a uh, unusually close relationship with your brother. Oh, they were friends for a long time. I mean, before this, before this business of the expedition started, Roger was seeing him often. Socially as well. Well, uh, and quite frankly, if you were a friend of Roger's in his business life, you were likely a friend of Roger's in his personal life. Madam, um, I don't mean to be presumptuous here. Uh, I am an ill ill-tempered and ill-mannered man in the best of times and not good with my tongue. Um, when, when you uh, went to um, collect your brother in Africa, um, did you happen to gain hold of any of his journals or uh, notes of the expedition? She looks at you and you do your best not to be completely cut in half by or her eyes, which eviscerate you. Yes. Yes. I, I'm not familiar with you, Mr. Forsyth, but you are here on Miss Lane's good name. So I will just say to you the same thing that I said to the papers, which were that there was nothing left of my brother's when, when we got there. The savages that ripped him apart destroyed everything they could. Unfortunately, ma'am, um, are you aware of the writer Jackson Elias? No, should I be? Probably not, but he was a dear friend of ours, of, of all of my associates and myself. He was investigating certain groups in Africa, certain cults, and he had called us to aid him in his investigation, and he was murdered by what we believe to be several of the same people who set upon your brother in Africa. Mm. There have also been a series of murders in New York committed by the same uh, vile savages over the years. Really? And so, you see, my dear, what we are trying to do is trying to stem further loss of life. Doctor, I appreciate your formalities, and I also appreciate that you've left a woman in charge of your practice back in Chicago, but it's very important to understand that I left all of this behind me years ago. Roger is dead and buried, and that is where he needs to stay. So I'm not sure what assistance the estate can be in this regard. I don't have anything to give you that I know of. There's nothing in his room. It's all packed up and gone. 
Mr. Um, Mr. Uh, Elias mentioned some books that your brother may have in a safe that would be of particular interest to us. Books, huh? They would probably be of strange and esoteric subjects. Mm. Lillian, go ahead and give me a persuade roll. Impress the shit out of me. <laughs> okay, hang on. Oh my god! <laughs> I love That's Would not... You, can you push that? But it's pretty impressive. That um, is you, impressive. So, you you yeah. weren't specific on the impressive, Mike. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's true. That's, that is, as it stands, a 97 out of 60, so it is a critical failure. Um, so this is what I'll say. Uh, I will allow you to explain, if you want, how you're going to push it, um, but you need to know that you're uh, that you're in a very tense situation. And so if you're going to push the role, that's fine. Explain to me, you know, as she probably begins to shake her head no, explain to me how you'll double down and really put all your chips on the table. And then if you do that, I'll give you a chance to uh, <laughs> to push the role. So instead of me critically failing again, maybe one of my compatriots can, you know, somebody that can sweet talker like <clears throat> Jack can maybe pick up my slack. So unfortunately, that's not the way this works. Damn. So in the moment we're in right now, at this point, you have failed that role. And if you don't recover it, the failure stands. The scene plays out with that failure on the book. You okay, got to push well. it. Gotta push it. Can we group think a couple of ideas real fast for her? If she's um, having trouble? No, it's not a mass mind here. There's no okay. there's no mental okay. communication between the three of you. I ain't, I ain't stuck to anybody headwise. <laughs> a little psychic ability. I'm just saying. So I, I believe in you, Morgan. Tell me how you Do would you? um Yeah, absolutely. Uh how would you in a desperate moment of need if it's really desperate that you really need this stuff which is why you're here play it out okay i'm thinking give me five seconds you're fine take a moment or five ah. i'm assuming erica is shaking her head now she begins to shake her head no like she does not want to talk about it and you know having been a part of so many different um social card playing sessions you you know that you need to do something to turn this around before she could you know put up a hand or anything like that and i look at her, erica again i know this is not a subject that you want to talk about i know roger is gone and dead and it was truly tragic but the books in that safe could honestly save a lot more lives and they are books that we Really need to see. Very good. Okay, roll. All right, I'm going to do this and pray. Do it. Woo! 53 out of 60. 53 out of 60, very good. My question to you is, it needs to be a hard success. So are you willing to spend down to make it a hard success? Yes. But how much do I get to spend? You need to spend 23 points of luck to do it. Are you just pooping kidding me? Uh, it's right. better that than sanity, Th I suppose. That's very true. That is so true. Right. And you'll get luck back at some point. All right. So I will spend the 23 luck to make it a hard success. All right. So that'll make that a 30. And so you've pushed out of a failure and into a hard success. It has cost you quite quite mightily uh you lock eyes with erica and you seem to somehow some way get behind her i don't know her social armor and she for a moment soften a bit like she's heard something you've said and um her eyes well up a little bit and the rest of you now can can see that she begins to get emotional. I, I don't, I don't even 
I don't know what to think about any of it. None of it makes real sense. None of it. All of his friends abandoned him. Everyone abandoned him. That bitch of a woman took him from me, took him from everyone. She kind of gets up and heads to the refreshment table and pours herself something to drink. Do you know what the worst part is? I'm glad he's gone. He left us in ruins. But I still don't want... I don't want other people to suffer. Not if it possibly had something to do with what he did. There are... books here. Might be useful. She goes over to... uh, part of the bookshelf, and you see a very thick uh, book covered in uh, bright green leather. Writing on it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a collected tales of Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. She takes it off the bookshelf. After she takes it off the bookshelf, uh, she takes a couple more books off of the bookshelf. and You see, as soon as she takes more than one book, gray uh, comes in from the doorway and just takes the books in hand and then walks back out. The book she pulled off the shelf. When she pulls the rest of these books off the shelf, uh, you see a safe that's been built into the bookcase. See the front of a safe. She gives the knob a few lefts and rights, and then you hear a metal on metal turn as the safe pops open. She opens it up, and you see that there are several books inside the safe. Here they are. I don't know what good they could possibly do you but i'm gonna step forward and look at her and be in ask may i look at them i i mean if you want to be frightened truly frightened yes there's one there i i glanced through and it was it was horrifying that's probably the book i'm looking for she gives you a strange look it's just something she it's not revulsion it's just true wonder she's you're she's she's befuddled she has peculiar tastes in reading i will uh yeah look at the books that are in there Uh uh-oh she's gonna look at the books hopefully not light anything on fire (laughs) (laughs) everything everything in the room starts on fire yep that exact (laughs) me everything starts on fire immediately as soon as you look at them no i'm kidding uh, so there are several um, books within to look at. The question is, is where would you care to start? Uh, are there any with any familiar symbols? Familiar symbols. Um, there is one that has a familiar symbol on it. Yes. Okay. You see a, a, an estranged arced star. And in the center of it, you see... Uh, the branch of what looks like a tree that has several smaller branches off of it. That's a symbol that you've seen before. Okay. Like, like specific to me, I've seen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You saw that in, uh, you saw that in, it matches the same symbol that you saw in Swift's book. Right. Miss, Miss mm-hmm. <clears throat> Carlyle. It will take us some time for us to research these books. Is there any way that we could perhaps take them with us on loan and return them to you via parcel and postal service? I had actually, at one point, Doctor, considered having the books sold. I would advise against that. These are not the kind of books that need to be general circulation. Mm. Yes, well, everything has value, Mr. Doyle. I'm sure you know that. Absolutely. Books are no different. So she turns to you, Miss O'Shea. I will enter into an agreement with you. Provided you're willing to agree to the terms, you can utilize the books as you see fit. What are your terms? You will agree to only use these books in service to the Carlisle estate in memoriam of Roger. 
get down to the bottom of whatever happened. And when you're done, burn them. I visibly cringe at the end of that. (laughs) They are the last piece of anything that Roger Carlyle owns on this earth, or owned for that matter. Those are my those are my terms. I can agree to that. Very well. Now, I need another drink. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a kind of cursory examination of what you have in front of you. Uh, you see what appears to be uh, the first one is rather strange. Actually, they're for that matter, they're all strange looking, uh, but. One of them in particular, just because of its name, pops out at you. Uh, And it's in French. That's why its name pops to you, because most of these, anyway, at least from what you're seeing, most of them are written in English. Yeah. Just by passing glances. But there's one here that uh, is definitely written in French. It'll be fun to translate. Well, you have somebody that knows French. Miss Lane does. In some respect. Sanity rules. <laughs> For everybody. She can't take sanity rules just yet. Jeez. She's just touching them. <laughs> I mean, there are very few tomes that when you touch them make sanity rules, but these are not one of them. <laughs> Exploding sanity <laughs> books. <laughs> Why do you want me to go crazy so bad? She's desperate for it. We're all desperate to see you just go nuts you may sift you sit down with the books then just kind of like sit down on the recliner and like not recliner but there i mean there are tables here and there are couches so i'm gonna read them i'm going to just lay them out and like mentally like prioritize which ones i want to look at first okay yeah that's totally reasonable which i think is going to be the one with the protection star at least that's what Swift's book originally said, that that was for protection, I think. Yep. Uh, you see the one that has the star on it is, uh, it's a white leather over wood. Uh, it's unnumbered, about 160 pages. It's written in English. Okay. The text, at least just leafing through it really quick, just looking at the text, not doing any hard reading. Uh it's an account by somebody named Montgomery Crompton. And the book is called Life as a God. Question for you, James. Are you paying attention to what she's doing? I Very closely, actually, yes. I'm very Everybody closely paying is. attention to the books. Well, I've also done some studying at your elbow there. And uh, the <clears throat> what little I know, I'm fascinated by. So definitely paying close attention. I'd like you to make me a medicine roll. Human skin, here we come. <laughs> now the question is, would you like to spend luck to change that? Yeah, I'll go ahead and spend the, what, seven luck to change that. Okay. So you succeed. As she's flipping through the pages, it's really not the pages that catch your eye. It's her fingers against the white leather cover that continue to, to hold your gaze. The, the words life as a God are pretty stunning in and of themselves. Right. You feel like you need to reach out and test the leather because there's a few things about it that are concerning. Uh, it's condition. Miss O'Shea, may I see that book for just a moment? I will hand it right back, I promise. Sure. I'll hand it over to him. Your fingertips confirm what your brain is desperately trying to scream at you. And that is, the book is bound in human flesh. I knew it. I mean, I knew it, but... Oh, yeah. I I hand it back to her with all post-haste. And now now you make a sanity roll. (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh, do I have um, my pulp or not my pulp, but my doctor's thing? Do does that cover my the? the oh grotesque? yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Grotesque. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. No sanity roll because you're a doctor and you've seen gross shit before. Ah, uh, yeah. This is this is. Uh, <laughs> I saw some stuff come out of the trenches. Yeah, I'm grossed out, but yeah, not not ground shaking. Yeah, it's vile, but so that's uh, one of them. Um. If you, are, I guess the question is, is are you planning on sticking with that? Or are you going to go to another one and kind of just get a rough idea of what it looks like? I'm going to keep going book to book while I hand that one back to her. Yeah, I'm going to keep looking at the different books, too, just to see what we have. There's a manuscript here. Uh, it's written, it appears at least in some archaic form of English. Uh, it's bound in green leather. Um, there's no title to it at all. Um, this one also has uh, kind of a strange pentacle-type symbol seared into the binding itself. Uh, when you open it, the title page gives the work's name uh, followed by a subtle as written in the so-called Noctic Scrolls. So the title of the book itself is actually called uh, the Noctic Manuscripts. And it's spelled a little funky. I'll spell it later. This definitely appears as an older form of English. It's, it hurts your head to even try to read it. You're familiar with reading old English texts before, and it's a real brain drain to try to... This is all ye and thou and... <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. You need time to concentrate. Yeah, green leather, uh, a burned-in, so strange pentacle symbol on it, uh, and uh, or pentagram symbol on it, and then... Uh, it's called the, the Noctic Manuscripts. Okay. Miss O'Shea, are you carrying these in your bag, or do you want me to carry them in mine? Uh, um, do I still have room in my bag? I mean, granted, remember, I'm not carrying around the mask anymore. Right, that's true. Uh, yeah, the mask is at Miss um, Lane's apartment, right? Uh, it's in my luggage, yeah. In my luggage, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, you do have room now that the mask is gone. Uh, to put the books in, although you will be essentially like carrying a school a schoolboy's satchel at this point. Uh, well, I'm kind of used to that, so I'll just put them in my bag. You see that Erica gives you a long look when you put them into your bag. I'll just look at her because I'm awkward. <laughs> <laughs> That steals it, then. I'm going to own the awkward. <laughs> I hope to see each one of you tomorrow for the party. I wouldn't miss it. We are looking forward to it. I ask you one question, one last question. I'm sorry, Carlisle. It's okay. Go ahead, Jack. What do you need? Um, we're at least vaguely familiar with Dr. Huston. I'm familiar enough, yes. Was there anybody there or his assistant maybe or something by the initials IB? Why do you ask? It's, it's something, some initials that keep coming up in our uh, investigation. Mm. And you want to know what IB's dirty little secret is? I have an idea, but... Well, let's hear it. What's your idea? I'd love to hear it. I think there was an inappropriate relationship going on between the doctor and IB. Mm. And yeah. it ended badly. This is the fun part of the society pages. It's when you hear all the dirty, gory details about people's lives. I could clear it up for you, sure. If that's really what you're after. I mean, I don't know if it has any bearing on our investigation or not, but. Oh, I doubt it. But it might give you some perspective. As you probably know, I have known Dr. Austin as well, at least somewhat professionally. And while he's very, very good at what he does, he has not always been the most intelligent of doctors. He made a small mistake years ago and it blossomed into a much larger mistake later on in life. And IB was, quite honestly, was that mistake. 
he enjoyed fame and notoriety uh, as a doctor. Unfortunately, as far as he is concerned, um, his former practices were not looked well upon. And even though he was a John Hopkins graduate, uh, he did unfortunately enter into an affair with uh, Miss Imelda Bosch, a young woman who arguably could have been um, she was young she was very young, I'll just put it that way. The relationship ended when Miss Bosch committed suicide. Ah. She did so after finding out that she was with child. I'll just say that the doctor's reaction to finding out that he was going to be a father was not a pleasant one. And he demanded that she do something. And so you should just understand that my view of Dr. Huston is a little uh, aligned. Roger had to come in and sweep everything under the rug. He used our considerable social and financial power to clean up any loose ends. And I have no doubt that that was part of the reason why he was able to leverage someone as intelligent and as uh, powerful in his field as Dr. Huston into the expedition in the first place. It seems he was more than willing to uh, feed the country, as it were. Hmm. Well, wouldn't you, if you were in that position? Indeed. Did they ever find this woman who went on the expedition, who who led your brother into this expedition? Benet? No. She probably ran off into the jungle where she came from. I have a party tomorrow to prepare for. So if you don't mind, I will bid you adieu, as they say. And I will see you back tomorrow morning bright and early. Thank you for your time, Miss Carlisle. We are looking forward to it. All right. Um, you guys take your leave. Um, Mr. Gray walks you out back to the waiting car where Charles is. And you guys exit the estate uh, in a fairly comfortable and yet equally disturbed frame of mind. Uh, I'm going to call tonight's session there. Uh, we'll place you and pick you up the morning of the party. Uh, there is a huge event, huge eclipse event happening tomorrow. And our listeners will not want to miss it. So. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to coming back next week with you. And everybody have a good night and stay safe.